G'day, Jonesy here. On this episode of Power Up Your Business podcast, we speak with accomplished businessman, Bill Alexiu Hucker. This is suffered by every business owner. There's not a lot that aren't. That is the race to the bottom on price. Learn from Bill's vast experience and wisdom how to grow a successful business. Today's episode is brought to you by the Cube software platform, assisting business owners how to plan, market, and improve their financial decision-making. To find out more about The Cube, go to www.thecube.network and click Request a Demonstration Now. You're here to change your life. Because there's too much on the line, you're sacrificing shitload now and your family need to benefit. You've got to make learning a passion for yourself. The clicker for me come to realise that, hey, I've got to get better at business. Hi, I'm Matthew Jones, host of Power Up Your Business podcast, and I'm here as usual with my co-host, Craig Bush-Markham. Yeah, good afternoon, Jonesy. And joining us today, we're pleased to have Bill Alexiu Hucker. He is an accomplished businessman. He is the founder and director of GPSM, a global logistics company, and they are the gurus in international freight forwarding. They commenced their business in January 2002 and currently employ 40 people. And recently, he's created a business that imports Himalayan pink salt and he's kicked some big goals there, getting distribution through Coles, Woolies and Aldi. And Bill is also the former chairman of the South Sydney Leagues Club. Thank you. Well, on that note, I'm going to actually ask you both, Billy, being successful in business but failing in sport as a Rabbitohs fan all those years... <laughs> How did you feel in 2014? You're at the chair and a lot of great work went and a lot of great people went into that business. How did you feel? Well, I suppose the word euphoric has to come to mind. We've been let down so many times that we didn't think the uh, the occasion would ever arrive. The beauty for me was that I uh, went along with my family. So they had endured many years of heartbreak, being teased at school, being a South supporter in the uh, on the North Shore. And so for all of us collectively, it was a great day. Matt, I'm going to throw to you. I mean, you're a very well-known South man, a South tragic, but you also were part of the team and the staff that worked with Michael Maguire through the 2014-2015 seasons. They say the problem at South Sydney was the football couldn't get done right because the business wasn't. Is that a fair assessment? Look, I think after 43 years of losing, it pretty much come down to people didn't know how to win and they needed to change their culture. So Madge really wanted to put a winning culture in place and he did that in 2014 and like Bill, I've been a tragic all my life and there's nothing better than being in the sheds with my son and my brother holding up the Proven Summons trophy. Well, a bit of excitement there, I suppose, for uh, sport and business collectively. Billy, a little bit about the GPSM story and your journey and expertise. Can you tell us a little bit about where it all began for you? Well, it began for me in uh, the mid-70s when I entered the industry worked for a lot of people over that period of time and I always thought that uh, the business model of the uh, freight forwarding industry was was wrong and needed to be uh, changed with the coming of the internet. So uh, my business partner and I decided it was time to go out on our own. We started knowing that we could end up in some sort of legal problems if we solicited clients or or employees. We basically started on day one without any uh, employees and without any clients. 
So we uh, we kept our first uh, invoice, which was on one of those thermal paper facsimiles, which unfortunately is faded now, so there's no uh, evidence of that. But, uh, yeah, we, we actually started sight unseen. We both had mortgages, both had young kids. We were taking a big punt, but we believed in ourselves. And the big change then, Billy, from what I can hear, was it the internet that really drove you and the existing business that you're in didn't believe in the internet or didn't want it, they were a bit slow to move and you thought you and your partner were less going there's an opportunity here, let's go? Well, with some due respect to the guy that we used to work for, he did see that coming, but his idea of how to enhance the business using the internet was different to ours. And we we could see it as a value add, whereas he wanted to see it as a, an, another profit centre, which we knew in our industry wouldn't work. So we followed on those footsteps and created the internet package that we have, knowing full well that no other freight forwarder does it. So basically, you really got in early because you see how big it's going to be and the opportunities that lay ahead. When you talk about taking that big risk and from a family perspective and potentially the amount of days, weeks, months or years of having sleepless nights as that budding entrepreneur, talk us a bit about that. So one of the things about starting a business you'll learn is that people will promise to come along, people will promise to give you work. Uh, if the day ever came when you wanted to start your own business and when the time comes for them to put their names on the piece of paper, many say, oh, you know, we'll wait and for a few years, see if you've got the runs on the board. So those first six to 12 months, we really had to go out and push, you know, our, our expertise, uh, our willingness for customer service and it was fortunate that a few of the bigger accounts were put faith in us as people and as doers and came across and that gave us the foundation to move. But many said no as well that we thought were lay down Mazaire. And a couple of things there in terms of those early days, how did you get in there? I know you said sort of more of a personal touch potentially. How did you gain the confidence of these big players when you you had no runs on the board yourself? We, we did have to have a point of difference, you're right. Uh, price wasn't a motive for them. This was pre-GFC. So it was all about, well, how am I going to enhance my business? And so by offering them an internet solution that we knew was quite unique in our industry, they were able to sort of justify jumping ships and coming on with us. Because that's often what we see a lot of the time where a lot of businesses just play on price and you really went into the crux of what's your problem, what's your customer's problem and how can you offer an improved solution? That's correct. We uh, we always look at that. It's our business model and it has been for the past 15 years. That is that we don't go in to offer a price solution. That's just a race to the bottom. And we demonstrate how we can improve their efficiencies, their indirect cost cutting and their productivity with the tools that we can provide them. Billy, uh, in Matty's book, Power Up Your Trading Business, he references in, in page 51 where you've got the three takeaways about the change and you just highlighted them the hardest step is the first step be prepared for a fight and you articulate that with so many customers you rely upon and this one that uh, we haven't sort of questioned yet was take small bites and chew fast is that what you had to do in the beginning just take little chunks and then build on that yeah you you can't go all guns blazing at once because then you become overwhelmed with what is coming towards you. So you've got to manage it and the growth of the business has to be managed for growth as well. 
Otherwise, the customer will get a bad experience due to your lack of resources and, you know, they'll go. So you've got to sort of be a bit uh, patient to ensure that what you've got today is being well serviced before you go to the to the next platform and go for more for more growth. And on that back of that, Billy, do you think one of the things in terms of the one thing that really powered up your business, so to get you where you are today, sort of to fast track it, what's the one thing that's really enabled you to power up your business? I think it's going to be the power of delegation. The power of being my business partner and I both believe that by surrounding yourself with good people, it enables you to do what you do best. But delegating is a difficult task because everybody knows they do the job better than the next person. So trust is a big issue for delegating. If I give you that job to do, how do I know you're going to do it as better than I can? So what you've got to do is once you've delegated, you've got to take those errors which will happen and rather than do what a lot of people do is say, well, give it to me and I'll do it, you've actually got to then sit down and understand the process and systemize it so that the error doesn't occur again. So we were able to delegate to our management team things that we could have done and saved money on, but that enabled us to spend the time to go out and find new clients. So the key thing there on the delegation, though, it starts with the key power-up. It starts with actually systemising, creating a process that can be replicated. Because what we see, I've seen it thousands of times, where a lot of business owners don't have the confidence to hand over. One thing I talk about in the book is, hey, as a business owner, it's not about you. Get out of the way. Let other people do it. And you've got to have the patience, too, to understand they're going to make mistakes, but that's cool. Then it's about if there is still mistakes being made, go back the process, refine the process, take the process to the next level. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I think one of the things that a lot of people do fear is the fear of failure. So when you do approach an employee or whoever, a manager, and say this is the way we're going to do it, their first concern is if it doesn't work, what's going to happen? And therefore, you've got to assure them, look, if it doesn't work, we just tweak it. We don't, it's not set in, nothing's set in cement. You've got to be dynamic. You've got to be fluid. If you're going that way and it's all of a sudden's not working, why isn't it working? Let's go that way. Billy, I know in my experiences, in 10 years I've worked with Matt and, and Matt come on board in our business and said that exact thing to me, get out of the way. And sometimes in business, when you started, it's your baby, you feel a self-importance. How did you manage the art of delegation? What were the three key things that you could do to actually get out of the way and, and control that situation? I was taught that from a previous employer first. He taught me the art of delegation. But I guess in a funny sort of a way, uh, my business partner and I, when we first started the business, had a saying, and that was make as much money as we can with as little work as we have to do. And we didn't mean that by winning the lottery. We meant that by saying, well, let's find the right people in those roles that will do a better job than us so we can be networking and upselling and value-adding and, and taking the time to understand the business from an, a helicopter level so that the processes and the efficiencies go down to our bottom line. And that's one of the things we see a lot of the time where when it relies on the business owner and you're firefighting all the time, you're not high enough. You don't know if you're actually making the right decisions to ensure that you're positioning the business long-term because it's all short-term. Everything's short-term and that's where we see a lot of the time where 
will say a business owner, the number one thing you need to process, but they'll come out and they say, Jonesy, yeah, that's great. In a perfect world, that is great, but I haven't got the time, haven't got the money. Well, it's like, well, if you don't want to sort of accept it, then just get used to firefighting time and time again. And ultimately what we're about, what you said, make as much money as you can with as little work. Ultimately, you want to be able to ensure you can go away on six weeks holiday, come back, uh, and you've still got money in the bank and still ticking along as if you weren't even there. That's right. Billy, uh, what are some of the challenges that you're facing in your industry in the current economic and business climate? What are the things that keep you up at night, if anything at all? Well, uh, I think the main one is that, uh, and I think this this is suffered by every business owner. There's not a lot that aren't. That is the race to the bottom on price. I think we've become educated to go for the cheapest price. And for that reason, a lot of clients and customers will actually put pressure on you to to meet that price, even though they know they have a better standard of customer service experience uh, if they stayed where they were. So to me, that's about the only one that really gnaws at me. But again, then it's up to you to be able to provide the tools to your customer. And the tools aren't just being a good bloke. That's not what they're looking for. So it's the tools that they say, hey, if we leave this crowd, we're really going to have trouble. Because one of the things you're talking about there in terms of the race to the bottom and just some takeaways for the listeners, because price, nearly every customer that we work with, it's all about price. Their first thing is, why aren't you winning work? Oh, it's price. But what we've got to try and do as a key takeaway, would you agree, it's all about actually educating the customers in terms of the value that you deliver. Because what we see is, when you agree, Bush, like one of the- 100%. You lose a cleaning contract, what are they, your sales rep says it's on price. Yep. Would you agree? And, and your sales guy says it's on price prior to getting the contract. Oh, mate, you know, you've got to articulate value and what they're going to get. And I think it's a key point you make, Bill. Value is the number one driver for people and they will come at you at price because everyone wants a good deal. But once you start to articulate the value, then you're lifting the veil. Just on that, the value proposition, when the GFC hit and we went through a bit of a rough patch, we actually sat down and said, well, who are the clients that value our services? Not who uses us, not who who has to use us, but who are the ones that value us? Because they are the ones that are paying the most. They're the most profitable ones. So we we looked at that on a whiteboard and said, here are the five factors. It might have been their demographic. It might have been where they're situated, the industries they're in, whatever. So we went out to find those type of clients. Rather than have a machine gun approach, we actually honed it down and said, we want these types of clients. And whilst we could be bigger than what we are, we wouldn't be as profitable as what we are and we would have more headaches than what we have. That's what we see a lot. A lot of people, a lot of organisations struggle to say no to clients or get rid of clients because what we see is the clients that you start with aren't the ones that are going to be there long term because as your business evolves, they often won't evolve with you. So you need to say no. And again, what we talk about all the time, it's not about being busy, doing lots of things, it's about doing the right things at the right time. And at the end of the day, it's not about turnover, it's not about size, it's about profit. Yeah, that's correct. In fact, in our situation, we lost our biggest account and we were more profitable by losing them. Wow. Because they simply wanted everything for nothing. Mm. This was over a period of time and like you say, uh, Matthew, we had to just say, well, sorry, we're not going to visit those profit levels. 
And that's one of the hardest things. To say no yep. is the hardest thing for a lot of business owners. Yeah. So it's probably a question to both you, Matt, and you, Bill, but I'll start with you, Billy, as our guest. In Matty's book, you know, uh, Profiling Your Ideal Client, page 167, The Takeaways, identify your profiled customers' actual problems and implement solutions to solve the problem. I think that's a really, really key point in anyone in business. Everyone wants to tell you what they can do for you, but no one wants to actually listen to what you want. And I think, how do you how do you find that when someone mentions that, you know, yeah, we do all these great things, we, we sell this, we freight forward. What does the customer actually want? I think people miss that sometimes. A lot of a lot of people in any industry are just cookie cutters of what the industry does. So if everyone does this in the cleaning game or in the hospitality game, well, that's how we do it too. And so it's safe for a lot of people to who start business to just follow the same lead. But what we did and what every business owner should do is stand back and say, what is it about our industry that frustrates the customer experience? What is it in the cleaning game? What is it in hospitality? What is it in freight forwarding? In our industry, we identified lack of information and transparency was one of the big frustrations of our industry. If you're a tradie, it could be the frustrating thing as a consumer would be I'm told you're going to be there at 10 o'clock and you turn up at 2 and you haven't told me why, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, once people start to sit back and look at what the problem is of the industry and fix that, they're a long way to being Robinson Crusoe and very profitable. Yeah, it's a lot more than just coming up with a, the feature or some sort of function of what is done. It's about the underlying problem. As an example, from a real estate agent point of view, their problem is not about just fixing a hot water at a tenant. Their problem is they've got a 1,000 things to do. They've got all these emails. They've got 300 tenants, 300 owners. Can you fix my problem? If you can fix my problem, you become very valuable. Hmm. Billy, how do you stay uh, ahead of the game in your industry? Because it's so competitive and it is a race to the bottom across many industries. How do you stay ahead? Well, we stay well. We are ahead due to our technology. That that's a given, but we are always looking for new top ups of the bucket because you're always going to leak. So you have to keep that bucket topped up with new business all the time. So we, again, as I said before, delegating, we've delegated that task of cold calling to an outside organisation and they do that job for me and they have a pre-subscribed criteria of what they have to ask and the sort of company we're after, which goes back to that five value proposition that I mentioned before that we listed and then I only go out and see that type of importer. That may be one or two appointments a month but that sort of one or two appointments a month is more uh, successful than going to see 100 people a month. And that's all about you getting the best bang for your buck out of your time. Just before we move on, I just want to go back to that level of investment. How do you with your partners as an example, how do you sit down and go, okay, we're doing great but what do we need to do looking forward? So I'm a big believer in what you do today is not going to be good enough tomorrow or what is unique one day is expected the next, especially in this information age where everyone can get access to the latest and greatest. So how do you and your business sit down with your partner or, the, or your board to say, okay, you know what, even though we're doing good, we need to invest X in this to go to the next level. How do you 
put a case together forward for that? Well, a lot of day-to-day research goes on. And when I say research, I mean, you know, read about what's happening in, in your own industry. Read about what's happening in technology. Look at how that can affect your business and how you can grab that innovation that's out there. For example, Uber has created a whole new generation now of Uber Freight, Uber Transport, Uber this, you know, the day will come where people will be using freight forwarding and transport companies like Uber and and we're now starting to build the technology that will be able to bring that sort of result for us. So it's it's really about the technology and saying, well, what's coming up and how can we add even more value with the technology and what's that going to cost? So from a listener point of view, it's all about continual learning. Correct. It's yeah. all about never sort of setting Keeping on, up with the times. Right. Don't yeah. be, just because you're great today, but you've always got to look ahead. And obviously you're an avid reader, avid, avid researcher, and that's yeah. probably one of the key things for your success today. If you're a builder, what's the latest material that's out there? Instead of using the old 4B2, what are they using in Scotland? or Finland or something. I mean, I'm not saying that they've got to import it. All I'm saying is what's out there now that you can tell your client because when your client says, hey, you wouldn't believe it, I've got this builder that's come up with this brand new, you know, product that's half the price, they don't even know what your work's like. They'll want to use you because you sound like an innovative sort of a guy. And on the back of that, that comes down to a lot of it with partnerships and I want to talk about your pink salt and how you really leverage partnerships in that because one thing we talk about with builders, plumbers, trade service people, it's about with your current suppliers, how can you leverage their expertise and their credibility to provide value to your customers and that's one of the key things I think a lot of business owners because they think they've just got to do it themselves and they've got their head down, bum up, they don't look at partnerships as a real way of leveraging whether it be their, their expertise, opening markets. So just on that, from a pink salt perspective, Hasn't been going that long. Just give a, give the listeners a bit of an update on your latest venture. Okay, so about uh, six years ago, I came across an, uh, a fellow that wanted to import pink salt, which you now see in every store, for his cattle. And uh, so I asked the gentleman what he was going to do with it. I hadn't even heard of Himalayan rock salt. Once I started researching again, like we discussed before, I noticed that there was a hole in the market for a pink salt to be sold to the masses rather than and as an elitist product. Long story short, it took me about six years of telling people of my idea that went nowhere that I happened to then meet a, uh, a company that were a food broker who could, whose job it is to approach Woolworths and Coles and Aldi to uh, actually bring in new products. So when I told them about my product, they jumped on the idea and they had it in Woolworths within a month or two. Now, when they came to me and said, well, you know, we're now looking at a partnership here, we want X percent, which is more than what I've got, a lot of people probably would have, if you watch Shark Tank, they they come in and say, well, I'll give you 10% for X. But the problem is they're the people with all the expertise. If anything, you should be giving them 90% because they're the ones that are going to take it from a $2 company to a $2 million company. And so when they put the proposition forward to me that they wanted a greater share of this, I had no hesitation in saying yes because I knew it took me six years to have 100% of nothing and it took me two months to get 40% of 
something. A greater share. A greater share. So I could I could see the expertise that these guys were going to bring along. And since then, knowing what it's been like to supply the majors, there is no way I could ever have done this without them. And you've got to rest easy with that. You've got to be able to go to bed at night and go, you know what, I may not be making as much as I would have thought I would make or the business is making all this but I'm not getting the big share of it. But just think back how hard a struggle it would have been if you had to and would you have done it and would you have had the time to do it? Well, most would have stopped. Most would have stopped. That's right. But now they're focusing on their lost profit even though six months ago they had no profit. That's right. And that's a hard thing where a lot of people – that, that's that mind shift and that mindset where it's like, hang on, and I love the way you sort of term it, you're 100% of nothing. And would you bring it down and a couple of things just finishing up and I'll get Bush to, to jump in here especially, but some of the best pieces of advice that you had you know, through your career and one of those things that catalyst, you know, sometimes we see, like for myself, you know, you're sitting there, you're down, you're out, you've been struggling for six, seven years, there's nothing happening, then all of a sudden someone taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, lift your chin up have a look at this, what about this? And it really changes that trajectory. What about yourself? What's some of the the catalysts for you or some of the changes for you? I think there's always tomorrow is certainly one because you've always got tomorrow to work on something, whether it's a life problem, work problem, business problem, whatever it is. You've always – you're going to wake up in the morning, the sun will shine, and you've got another day to work on it. And for some people, you know, there's there's people out there worse off than you. And I think the South Sydney Leagues Club example is one of those. We went through six years of real torrid, torrid times. But every day the challenges were there, but you just had to – it was like Mount Everest, mate. You just had to take little steps and you'd eventually get to the top. And one of those things there too that I find that keeps people going, like you said, there's always tomorrow, you're aligned and connected to a big vision. You've all connected as a team, connected to a belief. And that was one thing with Madge in 2014. The whole organisation, all the players were connected to one vision. Let's break this 43-year drought. Now, once that was broken, being tough because people are not aligned to that one vision. So how do you think from a visionary point of view and aligning to everyone to that one belief, how important is that? Very important. For example, in my freight forwarding business, everyone is aligned to the vision, if you can call it that, of information business we are a, an information business to our clients they all agree with that so if you've got someone that tries to work outside of that program they won't last in the salt business uh, again the vision is to provide a high quality product at a very good price and we all are going for certain clients and we just keep on going. No one's going to splinter off and say, oh, well, but what about this or what about that? In the leagues club situation, that was to that was a, a big rebuilding program. We all had the same vision to open the doors one day, which we did, and there were a lot of battles along the way, but we all shared the same vision, and so that got us through. Last piece of advice to listeners, the one takeaway what would you give to a budding entrepreneur or someone maybe who's been struggling for 10 years? What would you give or to them? Or a startup. Or a startup. Someone there that's maybe, hey, I can't do this, maybe lacking belief. What sort of piece of advice would you give them? That's a tough one. Um, I think you've just got to, if you believe in what you want to do, if you genuinely think this is an idea or it's a passion, keep at it because 
I do believe the universe delivers at one point. But then I've also found in in my time that things that are successful seem to come easily. And I don't mean easily like I'm going to walk out the door and someone's going to hand me, a you know, the golden uh, goose. What I mean by that is in the case of the Leagues Club, for example, we overcame surmountable challenges, right? We kept going, we kept going. And it was almost like the universe was saying, hey, guys, I'm trying to get you to stop this project because, you know, it's going to end in tears. Whereas with the GPSM thing, even though I say we opened our doors with no clients and no staff, when we went out, we still got clients and, and it wasn't it wasn't just like insurmountable all the time. So there are times, I've got to be honest, and the salt's another one, even though it took me six years to find that person, it wasn't an insurmountable thing for me. Well, I wasn't on the breadline waiting for that person to come along. And when they did come along, it happened within months, right? So what I would say to some people is, look, you might have a vision, but if there's people always putting roadblocks up, there may be a reason for that. If I've got a minute, it reminds me of a joke. A guy used to go to church every Sunday and he uh, he went out fishing one day and he drowned. And he was drowning and a, and a boat came along and the guy said, jump in, mate, and I'll, uh, I'll uh, save you. And he said, no, 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 Jesus will save me. And so he said, all right. So he took off. The next boat came. Jump in, mate, um, you know, I'll save you. And he said, no, no, I go to church every Sunday. Jesus will save me. Anyway, the guy drowns. He ends up in heaven. And uh, Jesus is there and he says, welcome to heaven. He says, mate, I'm really pissed off. And Jesus says, why? He says, well, I go to church every Sunday. I've lived the life of a good Christian man and I drowned. You didn't save me. He said, mate, I sent three boats. How many more did you want? And, <laughs> that, and so the, the story like is the story is that <laughs> sometimes you will have roadblocks and it is a, a warning signal. I love that. I love that. Love that joke too. <laughs> Just on that, really frame you part of your career would be one well, would be persistence, Billy. One of the things, yeah, you've kept going in adversity because you've kept that that vision and it's just kept going. And one thing that I'm a big believer in too is preparing for the opportunity when it presents. So a lot of the time there you can't see the opportunity but you're preparing and when it does present, you're ready, like, i.e. like the pink salt. It took you six years. You were preparing for six years but when it presented, you took it and very quickly you made it a, a reality. That's correct. Yeah, exactly. You, that's because I could see where – I could see it on the shelves. I could see it in the shelves of Woolworths clear six vision. years ago. Clear vision of what That's you wanted. That's right. And, and, and sometimes it's important that people don't so have a vision and then all of a sudden they start whittling that vision away because of those roadblocks that are coming. Oh, well, maybe I shouldn't do fine salt. Maybe I should just do rock salt. And maybe I shouldn't do grinders. Maybe I should do this. No, I, I could see where this was heading. I could see it on the shelf and that's why I persisted. It's a bit like Henry Ford back in the day if he asked, People back then, what do they want from an automobile? They'd say, give me a faster horse. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and he persisted. Because he had that vision. Yeah, and if you look at any of the great inventors of the world back in those days, any of the great entrepreneurs, a lot of them started at, with very lean times and some of them, even though we are now using some of their great inventions and what have you, died broke because of whatever happened. But they had a vision, they were persistent, and they saw it through. And on that note, mate, 
really a pleasure to have you in for our first edition of Power Up Your Business podcast. Uh, much appreciated for sharing your inspirational business story. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Billy. And to find out how we can assist you in building your blueprint for success, visit www.cubeperformance.com.au. That is Cube with a C. You've been listening to the Power Up Your Business podcast with your host, Matthew Jones.